Good afternoon, good morning, and good evening, and welcome to the American Age Podcast. My name is C. Travis Webb. I have a PhD in comparative literature from Claremont Graduate University, and I enjoy speaking to Seth Rodney and Stephen Fullwood on this weekly podcast. Gentlemen, how are you guys doing? Yeah, pretty, pretty, good, good, pretty good. Pretty good. Go ahead, Stephen. Sure. Um, my name is Stephen G. Fullwood, and I am the co-founder of the Nomadic Archivist Project, which is a um, consulting company that deals work works with individuals and organizations to um, find a home for their archives, process their archives, or just realize that they have archives in their home. <laughs> yeah, like that. Uh, my name is Steph Rodney. I am an editor at Hyperallergic, a an online magazine that primarily deals with visual arts, although we do cover quite a bit of performance and staged events, and we talk about art issues, and that's actually what I really like to do. So I'm glad to be here. One of the premier art magazines in the world, Seth should have said, actually. Well, yeah. but it's, well, so yeah. anyway. Uh, well, yeah. um, wow. So, so <laughs> today, <laughs> so today, uh, today we're continuing our conversations, part two uh, of kind of... Uh, the Me Too movement, uh, which was inspired by Dr. Ford's um, uh, objections to or uh, reporting of a sexual assault by uh, current Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, and that open, you know, Stephen had suggested that kind of we use that as a springboard for talking a, a variety of Me Too issues uh, carefully, right? Because there were three dudes. And, uh, you know, so you sort of just have to be cautious about some of the things that we presume. Uh, last week, I think to, to dovetail it, I mean, it's it's hard for me not to immediately want to talk about uh, mm-hmm, Dr. Mm-hmm. Ford's testimony. Um, and but I'd like to try and stick with what we had said last week. And maybe we can we can kind of uh, turn back into that a little bit uh, later on, which was Sunyi Previn's uh, article in which she sort of. Uh, uh, discussed her point of view on the Woody Allen affair and Mia Farrow and the allegations against uh, Woody Allen. So, right. mm-hmm. uh, Stephen or Seth, do you guys want to take us in? Sure. Um, do you mind, Seth? I just no, please, wanna... please do. Uh, so, um, the reason why I suggested this particular article was because I thought it was a very interesting article. It was the first time that Soon Yi Previn um, spoke at length about mm-hmm. the allegations against her husband. Uh, Woody Allen and Mia Farrow for the first mm-hmm. time. And so seeing her embodied and thinking about what this actually means to go on record as the wife of an accused, um, someone who's been accused by his daughter of sexually molesting her, I thought was really interesting to bring up in light of the Me Too movement because it sort of predates the Me Too movement and now it's firmly within it. So now mm-hmm. it's kind of like, Okay, so we'll take this on directly. There's no real reason other than she just simply wanted to go on record about who she what who she was, but also a little bit about who she is and how she feels about these allegations. And so in light of um Dr. Ford's testimony that's going on right now, I thought um I wanted to talk about it last week. We didn't get a chance to, but so I wanted to know both of you, both Travis and Seth, did you guys read the article? What did you think about it? And I have some other questions for you as well. Seth, do you want to go? Uh, I read, to be honest with you, I read part of the article only. Um, I neglected to read the entire thing because because I'm a bit of a bonehead sometimes. <laughs> there's but, there's other stuff to read as well. Right? well <laughs> there's, yeah, there was a long list. Yeah, well, uh, what I what I did find really intriguing was that I had known the story from years back, mostly via uh, 
the mostly via mainstream press that covered it as if Woody Allen was a kind of sick, predatory mm-hmm. uh, individual. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't mm-hmm. really thought much about it. To be honest, what had happened was given reading those accounts, I'd kind of frozen Sunni Previn in my mind as this child. Okay. So when I read mm-hmm. what I read of her own account, I realized mm-hmm. that she's, she's a grown-ass woman. She's 47 years old. And she's very yeah. clear on how the, uh, what, began, what began as an affair with Woody Allen made her feel and very clear on how that was actually quite a separate set of circumstances for her from her family life and her relationship with her own mother, Mia Farrow, Mm -hmm. Woody Allen's ex-wife. So what I got was a sense of, I, she is her own, Sunni Previn is her own person. And from if I am to give her any credit, as I do other adult human beings, I have to say to myself, that's your experience. Like your mother, you did not have a good relationship with your mother. You fell in love with this man named Woody Allen, who other people might see as a predator, but you certainly do not. And I have to value your own experience, given how you articulated it, as a person who has full knowledge of yourself and agency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like this, I think the Sunni Previn, which the article I did read, uh, and was, and I'm fairly familiar, I think I mentioned this last week, I'm fairly familiar with the Allen uh, mm-hmm. accusations and kind of, you know, some of the details around it, as, as you know, familiar as I can be just reading news accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, I think ideology makes us heavy-footed. Mm. Uh, and, uh, I think it means we can hit really hard and we can club it with very powerful tools. Uh, but it, it makes it, uh, it takes away our agility. Mm. And I think, uh, it, for example, it, it is not as if, uh, every younger woman in relation to every older man, that the older man has the power. Precisely. Do you think uh, what, what I got from reading that article mm. is that she was kind of fucking around and that she was like getting back at a mom, she, or a stepmother she did not like. Mm. She, at the, at the beginning of the article, she talks about, she says to him, well, that took you a long time or something, some kind of offhand remark that she made to him. Mm. Um, and that, she knew the relationship she was getting into. Mm-hmm. No, she did. Alan, to me, in, in that telling of it, in sort of an, in a reading between the lines kind of way you might do in a sort of literary analysis, but mm. Alan, to me, in that exchange, comes off as kind of the like sort of awkward, slightly hand-fisted. Yeah, <laughs> she's sort of the... the and, and I understand that that could be read as a kind of cover and that gives him right. an ability to sort of... Yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, I think sometimes, even though men appear to have social power, sometimes even though women appear to have social power, in intimate relationships, you may be a total schlub. You may be a complete and utter submissive. I mean, mm-hmm. it just but I but when we when we use an ideological frame to interpret right. every human action, right. it makes us idiots. Right. It just you cannot accurately read the world through a rigid ideological. Well, it's a mixed metaphor, but through a, rid, a rigid mm. ideological frame. 
right? You end up distorting the you end up distorting the world into that frame. Um, and so, reading Previn's article was not at all surprising to me. Uh, it, to me, it seems patently obvious that though. Alan probably has some odd emotional relationships. I mean, I think that comes through clearly in his films. Mm -hmm. Um, The fact that he was a predator, given the timeline, you know, we we talked about this a little bit after the show, August 1st, she, you know, Mia Farrow vows or says that something must be done to stop the the devil that is Woody Allen. And August 4th, She's making very calm mm-hmm. and collected accusations that he has molested her daughter. Mm-hmm. I don't buy it. It's just not credible to me. Yeah, but Travis, you also said something uh, at when we were off the air last time that I thought was really crucial to mm-hmm. that part of the story, which is that there was an investigation and someone spent a week with Woody Allen, uh, so there was to him. an ex- there was an extensive criminal investigation, right? Criminal investigation, and I know. Well, I don't want to speak for Stephen, but Stephen, why don't you? I know you were so. Stephen wondered if um, you know Allen's celebrity might mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. have benefited him, and of course you have to concede that that might be true, mm-hmm. but it might also be true that his celebrity hurt him, right? Mm-hmm. There are just as many people, maybe not just mm-hmm. as many. There are a fair share of people that want to take celebrity pull celebrities down as want yes. to build celebrities up. So, but yes. I don't want to, I don't want to speak for Steven, but yeah. Okay. So I'm just going to circle back to something that, um, that, uh, Seth said, so they were never married. They were only partnered from 1980 mm. to 1992. Right. Um, oh, okay. Good. Also want to say something that Travis has mentioned. And so they, I agree with you that I think that soon Yi is a much more complex ca- person than we give her credit for. I was about to say character. I think (laughs) when I read the piece, the thing that stuck in my craw was the photographs. The photographs that Woody had taken of Soon Yi and Mm. that Mia found them and I believe like Soon Yi was sort of like, well... You know, kind of like right. <laughs> I, wish, I wish you guys. I wish you guys could see Stephen uh, <laughs> miming just then. But yeah, so it's it's an interesting way to kind of. Well, I I think that what I got from the article was that there's so much more to this story. Mm-hmm. I agree with you that it's hard that you what reading things through an ideological lens can distort it. Right, absolutely. But I'm beginning to wonder whether or not that's not is that even possible outside of a classroom. Oh, interesting. So I, I mean, I know lots of people that would argue, would push back very forcefully against this mm-hmm. and, and, and thinkers I respect, but I think absolutely. Um, I, I think that it just requires constant calibration, right? So like oh, yeah. any, any mm-hmm. instrument that you use to, to measure the world. Mm-hmm. requires con- it requires calibration because it begins mm-hmm. to get influenced by its inputs and so its calibrations begin because there might be say like in a seismograph there might be a, a, a random set of activity that starts to ca- to to knock the calibration of the instrument off because the the information that is receiving is skewed on one side right so because mm-hmm. of its narrow bandwidth on time so you have to recalibrate the instrument human ideologies i would say are roughly analogous to that. You have to Mm -hmm. constantly, you know, so like basically my ideology tells me that uh, the United States as uh, an ideological apparatus could not have been invented without slavery, right? So Mm -hmm. you you absolutely require, it required black bodies to invent itself. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so that I bring that to everything that I sort of judge in contemporary 
politics and culture. Mm-hmm. But I do think that has to be constantly recalibrated by basic human decency, human curiosity, human avarice. And so I think that it is possible, Stephen, for mm-hmm. nar- narrow moments in time that then you have to <laughs> like that you have to go back and you have to struggle again, like over and over and over again. Um, but, so yeah, that's I, that's my. Well, I would tend to agree with that generally. I wonder how that looks in practice. I think one of the reasons why one of the places that are that's where that sort of ideological testing is possible is the classroom as Stephen suggested, is that what happens in the classroom is we we have a civil meeting place for difference of opinion. So I think the opinions Mm -hmm. being different, getting to rub up against each other, getting Mm -hmm. to generate friction is what makes that kind of recalibration possible. I think that's how it happens. So I wonder, though, to, 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 to talk about my own ideological position vis-a-vis women, the Me Too movement, mm-hmm. uh, I'm reminded of something that I saw, and I don't, I don't know if you guys have seen this, uh, and this is an interesting segue, uh, The Handmaid's Tale. Sure. I saw the, the Handmaid's Right. Okay. Right. So there's a scene, Stephen, you've seen this. Um, no, I have not. Okay. Okay. Well, I will, well I'm not going to spoil anything for you. Oh, no, you don't have to. No, I, ha- I, I think, think we have I to can think about it myself. This, I think we have to mark this date on the calendar that there is a piece of media that Stephen has not consumed because like, oh, like, you should get to know something me. up. <laughs> Stephen's like, oh yeah, I saw that. I, yeah. uh, no, no, I saw no, no, that no. back you in give... 1989. Where, where, where were you? <laughs> These two guys are giving me way too much credit. There's so much I refuse to watch until the herd has passed. And then I go, okay, okay, maybe I can watch now so no 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 trust so, me i'm an old man 52 okay mm-hmm. <laughs> so watching handmaid's tale was harrowing for me and i did kind of watch it when the, the most of the herd had passed so it was only this a, a, a couple of months ago mm-hmm. and there was a scene where essentially there's been a coup in 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 the united states and mm-hmm. the new administration is plotting how to lay out the foundations the social social and political foundations for this new society, which they call mm-hmm. Gilead. Gilead. And one of the top lieutenants, one of the command, he ends up being a commander, has a, a girlfriend or wife, I think wife at that point, who is really instrumental in fomenting this revolution. And she wants in on the discussions of how this new society is going to be structured. And he says, yeah, well, you know, the men will talk and then we'll let you in at some point and you can say your piece and help. And one of the top lieutenants, and he comes back out of the room. She's in the hallway waiting for him. Mm-hmm. He comes back out of the room and he says, I'm sorry, Selena, not this time. We can't. It's just not uh, the right time. We're not going the, We're not going to let you speak. And she's disappointed, but she being the dutiful wife, dutiful, submissive wife. She says, mm-hmm. she slinks off. My ideological position is that, that I couldn't live in that world because I fundamentally believe that there is no justification for that kind of society. There is no justification for putting mm-hmm. women in a position where they essentially are the sort of, attaches to men 
mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Where they are relegated, conscripted to roles of domestic, mm, what's the word? Domestic administration, child rearing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Basically, this sort of Judeo biblical, Judeo Christian Bible. They, yeah, they belong in the domestic sphere. They don't belong right. in the professional mm-hmm. sphere. And, or anywhere, yeah, anywhere besides that. Ideologically, I don't believe that is even close to being okay. There's no way, shape, or form that I'm okay with that. So, so when I come to the Me Too movement, I come with that. What? Who's gonna? T- how do I test that idea? I mean, I, who, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, I watch, I watch mm-hmm. The Handmaid's Tale. I don't find my my. I don't find myself trying to recalibrate. I just think this is horrendous. So I mm-hmm. would, Stephen, do you have, I have, have a quick response to that Go maybe, ahead. to, to, mm-hmm. to clarify. So what I mean by, by, by testing the fidelity of our instrument, I mean that using that position, which I, of course, um, fundamentally agree with on, in every way, um, against the information that you're receiving from the world, whether it be news media, uh, first and secondhand accounts, mm-hmm. in that I don't think it's productive to immediately interpret uh, or to reflexively interpret interpret each mm-hmm. apparent event, uh, each apparent instance of um, patriarchy or each apparent instance uh. of of mm-hmm. masculine domination as reconfirming that fundamental ideology. It may be that there ah. are extenuating circumstances, not just extenuating, it may be that that the story is far more complicated than that. Right. And I I mm-hmm. I feel like in some ways, um I I feel like the best parts of kind of what are sometimes called the reactionary intellectual right, right? You know, mm-hmm, people like mm-hmm. Jordan Peterson and, and Ben Shapiro and David Rubin, these and guys. Kevin Williamson, Kevin Williamson, right? Mm-hmm. The the best part, like kind of the like you know the little filet mignon on the side of that <laughs> cut of steak, I think is is trying to say that right. That what they're trying to say is that the ideologies that we are bringing to these events and these cultural circumstances, it's more complicated. The picture is messier than that. Now, there's mm-hmm. a whole bunch of mess associated with it, too. There's a whole bunch of right. bullshit that that I I don't traffic with. Like, I don't want to give fair airtime to white supremacists mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. You're like, mm-hmm. I just I, n- no, <laughs> I don't I don't think I need to waste any of my very limited life entertaining those ridiculous ideas. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like there's a kernel of what they're chasing that I'm sympathetic to. So that's me. That's sort of my response to that stuff. That, but I, that I don't makes, think you, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I interrupted you, but I, that makes perfect sense to me because that means that I, I can totally see how that ideological position that I just articulated could be used to interpret the whole Woody House and Sue Previn episode mm-hmm. as a Hollywood filmmaker takes advantage of young immigrant woman. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Right, which it, which we've been saying that's not it. That is not what has happened. That's not what we believe now has not happened. Right. Yes. Okay. <laughs> right. Right. Well, well, our, our knowledge of the situation has been expanded. Right. It has been. Lovely. It has. Mm-hmm. It has been inflected by Su Ying's own accounts. So we, if True. we're take, if we're gonna take that seriously, then yeah, we can't just look at this oh, definitely. story with that lens. 
it's also so there are two things one of the reasons why I brought the ideological component up to um riff on what Travis said was I was at the barber the other day and I'm sitting waiting for my barber to finish someone before me and I I have the back to my to the television that's on the wall and I'm hearing no you don't want this and then he's like yes you, yes you do yes you do and then I hear the ripping of the bodice and I'm like bodice <laughs> and then I go sit down in the the um the chair and I look up and I and I ask my barber I say is this, is this a soap opera because you know high definition makes everything look sort of soap opery mm-hmm. and he goes no this is the sons of anarchy oh but the way that it was being played was she didn't that, know what she that's wanted right oh no it's a soap opera that's funny well, well here's what yeah. I thought about it. I said yeah, I said oh this is, is a soap yeah. opera for men I said oh, okay right. I get it no right. whatever right. there's Peggy Bundy exactly. there's you know mm-hmm. um, my other guy who plays um. God, I forget his name, but um, Hellboy. I can't think of his name at the moment. But I was thinking I about, about yeah. those. There were like three, two barbers, like looking seriously at, the, you know, just like riveted by this idea. And I was like, well, what's going through their heads? <laughs> you know, what's going through their heads in, during this Me Too movement? What's going through their heads during uh, Dr. Ford's testimony? And now three other women who who are now charging Kavanaugh with um, some kind of sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, what is in their heads? What's in these men's heads? Because in my head, I'm going, I don't know how this, I don't know if this is entertainment. Mm. So for me, I, I would say that that the notion of suppressed and then expressed desire is baseline titillating for most apes. For sophisticated apes like human beings. So I think that I think that, uh, you know, sort of the idea of letting go. I I don't think that this is just purely a heterosexual dynamic. Um, I think that Mm -hmm. and and I think our inability to to deal with desire, um, to articulate desire and discuss it honestly, is Mm -hmm. one of the reasons you get someone like Brett Kavanaugh. I actually I bet that he believes he didn't do the things that he's accused of. I think that that is a plausible story. That oh, I he think so. Actually, that he, and, and I think that I don't believe for a second that it didn't happen. I, I, re, I mean, I watched her testimony this, this morning. Like, just like I would give in the, in the account of, of Alan and Sunyi Previn, I would give that to Alan. I absolutely give it to Dr. Ford. Mm-hmm. It seems patently, I mean, not patently, it seems... I am completely convinced of of her position. And I think he did do those things. And I think it is also equally possible that because we are so inept as a culture at dealing with desire, um, Mm -hmm. that that the way he has learned to process that want, right, this like strict Catholic upbringing or at least strict Catholic performance. Right. I don't I I don't know what it actually was like behind closed doors (laughs) is is what leads to this kind of nonsense. Well, they conflates all of this with virginity and all this other right, stuff, yeah, which I find right. very problematic and just like, so it feels dumb. like dumb. It, well, of course it's <laughs> dumb, but it, but it plays to the rafters. I mean, it plays to the crowd. Sure, you know, sure, this guy yeah. was a virgin. He's a Christian. He's this, whatever it may, you know, boys will be boys. You know, there've been think pieces around that kind of culture. I agree with you. I don't think that Kavanaugh or anyone like him thinks that he did anything wrong. I'm almost, I won't say completely sure because I don't, but but the but it smells like and it feels like, and also I've been a male all my life and I understand that culture in a very intimate way. So what I was thinking was, it's like, 
if Brett Kavanaugh doesn't feel that he's guilty, like there are scores and scores of men and women who believe him because there is a mechanism in place that I feel is it being um, being uh, de- uh, being affirmed by the kind of culture that we take in as entertainment, which is the kind of the point I was trying to make earlier. I, I feel see. like I see what you're saying. Do you know what I mean? What so, and, and so I think what, it's, it's hard to pull that apart. You know, and I think and I think what plays out in uh, that circle of entertainment is precisely the rehearsing of oh yeah titillation of the t- of the rehearsal of the titillation of suppressing and expressing desire mm-hmm. right so that's kind of a, a a through line through most of the dramas that we like i mean i can think of i can off the top of my head the wire mad men battlestar oh, yeah. galactica hill street blues oh yeah, I, uh, yeah, yeah. and it's self-opera so right, much yeah. of it right you know uh, and not that those are the only things that are working in those magnificent dramas, but that's one of the things. It's, 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 the, it's the suppression, as, as Travis eloquently said, the suppression of an expression of desire. I think that another part of the Me Too movement that is really, really a kind of small corollary, but which I think also runs through Kavanaugh's testimony, that story of who he is and that performance of that Catholic upbringing and all that, Mm -hmm. and also wends its way into the Me Too movement. And here I think of like Aziz Ansari's story, la la la, Mm -hmm. is is the effects of alcohol. Think about the ways that we foist off so much of that repressed desire onto alcohol. We say, oh, remember what happened with the, with the kid who digitally raped that woman and then uh, the swimmer from Stanford who, who, who was convicted. And, he, and he, his part of his defense was, I was drunk. I didn't know what I was oh, doing. Yeah. And, and, and he remember he went on this, uh, I think his parents, I know his parents are wealthy, but they did something like they donated something. Brock. Yes, that's the one. That's Why the one. Why do they always have like such fucked up rapey names? Brett right. And yeah, Brock. Yeah. Stop naming I, your children Brett and Brock. Well, America. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, 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 what came out of that was that the parents set up a fund or something or, or funded some effort to teach kids about the evils of alcohol. And I want to say, no. That's mm. ridiculous. It's not about alcohol. It's mm. not about That's letting. Right. It's not about giving yourself the excuse to let go by imbibing this thing, which is essentially what you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. It, yeah. At, at this stage in my life, I know how good a good scotch tastes, and mm. I would like that experience. But I don't drink scotch to get to the point where I'm able to turn to the person next to me and actually say what I want to, what I, what yeah. I feel. Yeah. Well, maybe you don't have any suppressed hidden desires that you need to act out. I have suppressed. <laughs> I have suppressed and hidden <laughs> desires. I I don't know if I need to act them out. And but more to the point, I know that I I can find places to do that, which are mm-hmm. supportive and a community of like minded folks. And I don't. I'm self aware enough to know that. Alcohol isn't going to be something I can blame bad actions on later mm-hmm. and get away with. Right. And plus, right. you know, to, let's 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 just be clear about this too. I'm not a white man 
with mm-hmm. a certain kind of educational pedigree behind me. So there's shit I will be accountable for that Brett Kavanaugh may not. Yeah, absolutely. Brett Kavanaugh and his ilk may not. Mm, yeah. True. True that. I mean, that's clear. That's that's just a part of the public record. Um, I'm just thinking about the vector of alcohol and how all of my life, all of my conscious life, I've been surrounded by people who talk the way you've talked. Oh, you know, I was drunk. I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, from being a small child to, to high school, to college, and even now, people in their 50s and 40s, 40s and 50s that I know are still kind of like, you know, cribbing that, you know, um, holding on to that line, using it as a vector. And I'm like, no, you, no. Right. No, no, no motherfucker. No. Oh, no. <laughs> right. Be, you a, know, be an adult. Shit. Be an adult. I heard you about to say be a man. Um, yeah, be yeah, an adult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hashtag me too (laughs) man i know but i do want to turn i want to turn it back to soon you very very briefly i want to get um, a sense of your um you both kind of talked a little bit about what you read but also i was curious about something that travis said and i agree with him because that flexibility is something that i intellectual flexibility but also just have holding the space i used to call it the god space before i became you know not religious but I still hold this space open to try to think about things in a particular way or try, no, excuse me, to invite other perspectives in. I thought about it from the perspective of Kavanaugh. I thought about it from the perspective of his wife and children. I said, okay, well, there's this, like, I feel very much like Kavanaugh does believe he did not do these things, has no memory of these things participated in a culture of drinking. I mean, now there are more people coming forth and saying, no, this guy drank all the time and he became increasingly aggressive when he was Mm -hmm, drunk. mm -hmm. I believe he feels like that's a birthright. That is just what people do. Mm -hmm. And right now we're getting to a point where women have been saying this for for decades and centuries now, you don't have a right to me. You don't have a right to me. And now we're really reckoning with it, but not really at the same time. So (laughs) I... I agree with that 100%. The only thing, the only complication I would add is that I do feel like there are rhetorical lines in the Me Too movement that interfere with women having, uh, taking full responsibility for their own sexuality and their own desires. And there is a way that, that, that to immediately, to immediately brand a woman in a fraught sexual encounter as a powerless person that needs to be defended from, you know, kind of the aggressive mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, uh, affront of the of male desire is um, is mm-hmm. is adolescent. I mean, once again, we have once again, we have another adolescent movement in America that really pretends at thinking without actually doing the, the hard work. In, no, absolutely. That's part about are we really reckoning with it? That's yeah, part of the I don't element. Think so. I don't think so. You know, and and to brand everyone as a witness who never lied, as a witness who never did anything wrong. Oh, no. right, you know, right, right, right. it's ridiculous. I never was that drunk. Right. I never ridiculous. walked down the street. You know, <laughs> right. it's just like <laughs> right. the fuck. You know, <laughs> right. The, the complexity that I'm yearning for is the complexity I try to live, but I feel like. When we're talking about the way that the news, like the consuming, um, the consuming news, news wants to sell you something. So does someone need to be telling the truth if they've lied before? 
Yeah. You know, and, and it's like, no. And I love it that one of the women says, no, I drank. I was drunk. You right. know, so there's a part. I was like, thank you for the complication. And right, we knew right. people would seize on it as a way to discredit her. But for right. me, it made her even more credible. I was like, right. thank you. I need right. dimensions. There are more colors than black and white here. And thank everybody you. knows that. So that's why I don't know if we're really reckoning with these things in any adult manner. But I don't know if we have a nation of adults. I think we just have a nation of people who want to be rich or or want to be popular or want to be the people who hold these other people down so that they can do these things, you know? I don't know. That's is- that's a great, great point. And actually, that is probably a whole other podcast in itself. Whether we are really a nation of people who just want to be popular and rich and want to dominate others, and whether there's any really rich vein of American of culture that is produced in America through which we can explore other avenues of being. That oh, yeah. I'd be really interested in talking about. So Steph, we were gonna, we were gonna. I think we're rubbing up against our time, and I think we were gonna set. We were, uh, we're introducing a new aspect to the podcast where we're gonna kind of let you guys know what we're talking about the next week, and we're gonna work through that at the very end. So Seth, you, you're taking the seat on that one. Great. What I want to talk about, and this is slightly difficult for me to articulate because I'm still working it out in my head. But I had a, essentially, I had a conversation at the house of a friend, an artist uh, who I actually just had dinner with last night. And it was a really convivial, friendly dinner. I think there were maybe eight of us in the room, maybe nine. Artist and her boyfriend and uh, several artist curators. I'm a, I'm a writer and editor was in the room. And uh, yeah, that, that's pretty much the composition of the room. We were talking about lots of different things. At uh, one point, we ended up on the subject of um, expensive sneakers. Um, and, and I live in a neighborhood in the South Bronx where lots and lots of people around me wear very expensive sneakers. And I know because mm-hmm. I see them advertised in various places. And I walk by, there's a, there's a big high, uh, popular shoe store. Uh, I walk by on my way to the subway every day. And I said, I, I said to a woman, I think she's a curator, I said, it bothers me when I see that because a lot of times I get the sense that these people are sort of on the edge economically, mm-hmm. that yeah. they don't really have enough to set aside money for, uh, you know, if they happen to lose their jobs, or not, not, to, not to even mention things like sending their own children to college, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, then I, and I realize that I am making, a, in some cases, unfair assumptions, but not unwarranted ones. Anyway, I said, don't like this. I don't like this expensive sneaker thing. These, these Jordans and these things that cost in excess of $200. And it especially bothers me when I see them on the feet of children. Like five-year-old and six-year-old children wearing these ridiculously expensive sneakers. Again, I don't know how much they get. the parent pays for them. I don't know where they get them, but whatever. Then a woman said to me, well, do, you know where that comes from, right? It's from our sense of pageantry. Like that's what we're doing. We're 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 celebrating, you know, who, uh, who we are as a community. And I want to talk about this because I find that argument completely ridiculous. I I do not credit <laughs> it. I don't give it any credit at all. I feel like there's a kind of fist. What they de- what they're demonstrating is, I think. A kind of fiscal irresponsibility that is rooted in the notion that your social status is 
commensurate not with what you earn, but with what you buy. Your social status <laughs> is indicated by what you spend money on. You're That's a problem. So a lot of people, I think, would argue me into the ground and say, no, 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 that's unfair. How are you making these assumptions? La, la, people of color, la, la, la. I want to talk it out. All oh, right. cool. All right. Mm-hmm. I'm down with that. The modern potlatch is what we will talk about next week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so so, so what, what did we come up with as a tagline, um, Travis? Uh, oh, we, yeah. We were, so we were, uh, we were told, uh, Seth went to a, a meeting of some professional uh, producers and people involved in uh, radio, and they said we needed a tagline for the podcast. So um, one of the uh, leading contenders is some, some version of practicing intellectual intimacy. Um, so I think we're going to work through that in the next uh, week or two, uh, and we will continue continue to improve on our ability to practice intellectual intimacy with one another and hopefully with the listeners. Amen. Um, so once good. again, this is uh, C. Travis Webb. And Seth Rodney. And Stephen G. Fullwood. Thank you very much for tuning in today. We'll see you next week. Yeah. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.